Welcome to the Felony Femme Podcast, hosted by Cherokee Taylor and Natasha Mason, a podcast about murder, mystery, conspiracy, and other true crime things. We do a lot of research, but for real, we don't know shit. So, this is really exciting because I like Halloween and creepy. Ooh, me too. And it was really kind of easy to find a really good Halloween one. Okay, there are so many murders that have happened on Halloween. Yeah. So, um, I'm wondering if maybe you should go first. Because I feel... What? Sounds good, because mine's a fucking massive downer, so... Okay, yes! I've been looking forward to this ever since you messaged me and you were like, this makes me want to vomit. Yes. Oh, this will make you want to actually vomit. Lawrence Sigmund Dicker is the first guy we're talking about. He is the one of the two for the toolbox killers. Um, I am going to just call him Larry from here on out, though, because honestly, I feel like it's a little cliche to just call him by their last name the whole time. For me personally, because then I start to think I don't ever call anyone by their last name, so. <laughs> Understood. Um, Good old Larry is born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in September of 1940. Um, His parents had actually decided not to have kids, so they placed him in an orphanage where he was adopted by Mr. and Mrs. George Bittaker. Um, His dad was actually an aviation, uh, like, pilot or something or worked in the aviation industry, so they moved a lot um, at a young age. And uh, Larry actually had an IQ of 138, but he dropped out of high school in uh, 1957, making him 17 when he dropped out. Wait, 100 and what? 100 and what? 38. That's really high. Yeah, that's a pretty freaking high IQ. Yeah. And um, not even a year later, he was arrested for car theft, hit and run, and evading arrest. So he was imprisoned at the California Youth Authority until he turned 18. And when he got out, um, he found out that his uh, adoptive parents actually disowned him and moved out of state. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So that's good old Larry. <laughs> yeah. So you can see his life started off pretty uh, crazy. Yeah. But then you also have Roy Norris, who's the other half. He was born in February of 1948 in Greeley, Colorado. Um, His parents had a shotgun wedding, essentially, to avoid the stigma of uh, her getting pregnant or, you know, out of wedlock or whatever. So Mm -hmm. um, she was allegedly a drug-addicted housewife and um, married to a scrapyard worker, so... I don't think they came from money exactly. And uh, Roy spent his childhood between his dysfunctional home and foster care, where he said he was neglected, abused, and denied sufficient food and clothes, so didn't exactly have childhood of the year either. Um, While he was living with his birth parents at the age of 16, he visited a female relative's house in her early 20s and began like talking to her in like a sexual aggressive manner and she actually kicked him out and then she called his dad and was like yo get this fucking kid straight because this is ridiculous and um then his dad threatened to uh you know beat him up 
So he actually ended up stealing his dad's car and driving it into the Rocky Mountains. And then he attempted to commit suicide by injecting air into his artery. I, I presume that did Pretty not. Pretty fucking hardcore. He wasn't successful, no. I assume. Okay. No. He was later apprehended as a runaway and returned to live with his parents. And when he returned home, now Norris's, uh, or Roy's parents informed him that he and his younger sister were unwanted children. <laughs> and they intended to divorce the second they could. So yeah, a year later, he dropped out of school and joined the Navy. Great place for a dysfunctional human being to go. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, Ooh. he was... He was uh, actually stationed in San Diego in 1965 and then was later deployed in Vietnam in 69, but never seen active combat. Um, he was honorably discharged after one tour of duty. So then we go back to Bitteker for their first defenses. This is just how Wikipedia had it set up. So we're just going with that. Um, so actually Bitteker had like a fucking long, long arrest history before this. He spent, um, it looks like, so he was- Which one is that? Is he the one that has the IQ of 138, or is he the one whose parents didn't want him? Larry, uh, well, neither one of them had parents that wanted them, because Larry was also adopted, so. But uh, Larry, Larry's the one with the really high IQ, and um, he was in the orphanage. So he had like this long arrest history and I honestly feel like it's not even that important to mention except for there was one story where um how he met Roy basically so um in 1974 Larry was arrested for assault with attempt to commit murder after he stung stabbed a young supermarket employee who had accused him allegedly accused him of stealing um, in this article, though, it says that the, the employee had uh, seen him stealing a steak, and when he followed Larry outside, he literally asked if Larry had forgotten to pay for it. Like, he did not accuse him. He just said, yo, did you forget to pay for that? So, like, he was honestly being kind of nice about it. And Larry was supposed re- to respond. follow people into the parking lot, too, if you, like, work retail or, gro- like, in the grocery store and someone's stealing? Aren't you just, like, not supposed to do that? It's probably like, because of situations like this, I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get murdered. Okay. Yeah, they're like, hey, next time, just, you know, that $16 steak ain't worth your life. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, he stabbed him and actually, like, almost hit his heart. So, he almost killed him, but he didn't. Um, he was, he fled the scene, but then was, like, almost immediately apprehended. Um, and that Gary Louie is the one that was stabbed. He actually survived the stabbing. Um, and Larry was convicted of the lesser charge of assault with a deadly weapon and was sent to California men's colony where he met Roy Norris. So, uh, Roy Norris actually had been arrested for his first time, um, in 1969 for other than the runaway charges. Um, his first sexual offense was in 1969. Uh, he was charged with rape and assault. Um, that was the same year, or no, that was um, what later charged him and put him in the same prison, I believe. Interesting. So they met in prison. Uh, 
Actually, I'm wrong. So he um, had raped the woman, and the woman refused, and he broke into her house. And then when she called the police, um, they arrested him, and she didn't actually get raped, but he had intentions of raping her. And then um, he was not put in jail for long, but he was on bail. And he attacked a, a female student who was going to um, San Diego State University. He actually struck her repeatedly on the head with a rock until she slumped to her knees before he repeatedly beat her head against the sidewalk. And then he was charged with assault with a deadly weapon and was co committed to five years at... Um, it, it says a Tassacarad. I'm not even going to try. It was some st state hospital. He was uh, committed there for five years. Um, and then he was released on five years probation after, you know, spending five years in prison. Um, he was three months after his release. He actually uh, approached a 27-year-old woman walking home and offered her a ride when she declined. He parked his uh, motorcycle just a little bit down the way and then uh, grabbed the woman's scarf, twisting it around her neck. And then he um, basically told her, I'm going to rape you. And so he raped her. And um, then that ended up putting him in the same, same place as uh, good old Larry. That's when they met. They ended up. I just at can't the believe same that these things so happened and then they got out again to to murder oh. together. Oh yeah, they got out uh, not that long after all of these things, like less than ten years. I'm pretty sure. That's insane. Yeah, it's either less than ten or I'm no. It had to have been less than ten years. Yeah. So they met in um in 1977. That's the year that they met. Um, and then they just kind of like hung out a little bit because uh actually larry was teaching um or roy was teaching larry how to construct jewelry which i thought was kind of cute but um <laughs> i mean like if they weren't like creepy people that would be so cute <laughs> i know but they're just like these fucking horrible human beings that are like yeah we make necklaces too um <laughs> for some we reason we also Etsy. smash <laughs> yeah, like, take my fucking Etsy account down, and we'll make you a necklace while we're in prison for smashing a bitch's head into the fucking cement. Um, <laughs> it's fucking horrible. So, basically, in 1978, they were just, like, becoming close acquaintances after making quite a few necklaces together, and while they were making said necklace, they're like, you know what? I really like smashing bitches' heads into the cement and raping them at the same time, and Larry's like, oh my god, no, me too. So they uh, made this plan while they were in prison to kill one girl for each teenage year from 13 to 19. They were going to yeah, rape sorry, and kill can you, sorry, one Can you girl. repeat that? One girl for? Yeah. Every teenage year between 13 and 19. So they were going to kill one teenager per, they are going to kill one 13-year-old, one 14-year-old, one 15-year-old, one 16-year-old, etc. until you get to 19. And then uh, Larry was fucking, they had this whole elaborate plan, too. Like, they had, like, a whole actual plan where they were going to kill all these people, whatever. That's so when they got out, they were like, I know, it's fucking deeply disturbing. 
And when they, they got out, weird. they were like, well, let's just meet up. And actually, Larry got this hella good job making $1,000 a week in 1978, which I can't, like, $1,000 a week right now is fantastic. Can you imagine in say. 1978? Yeah, that's, like, big money. Yeah. So, he get got that job. And so, the crazy thing that I, while reading this, I was like, what the fuck? It says, um... Despite classifying himself as a loner, he was friendly with several people in the neighborhood, earning a reputation as a generous and helpful individual who donated to the Salvation Army. On occasion, he was no- he's known to have purchased large quantities of fast food and wine, which he handed to homeless people in downtown Los Angeles. And then, um, he also made himself popular amongst the teenagers on purpose because he had such a thing for like teenage girls so he would like give them marijuana and beer and like smoke with them and whatever and then um just to have them always there socializing around him so it wasn't weird that he knew a bunch of teenagers i guess so three months after larry was released that's when norris ends up getting released so in 1979 very beginning of it norris or roy norris gets released i'm sitting here talking shit like that's all cliche and then i keep calling him the last name because i'm reading directly from this article <laughs> so i'm just calling myself out right now that's, that's all i'm doing i'm so um, happy that you just called yourself out though like that <laughs> that made it perfect <laughs> uh, <laughs> So they ended up meeting, um, like, uh, he, I think it was, oh, yeah, February is when they finally met up after releasing. So, like, a month later, they meet up, they rekindle their plan to, like, kidnap a bunch of girls, and then they fucking actually buy a 1977 van. It's, a like, the silver GMC cargo vans, so it had no windows on the side, only windows in the back, and they called it. Get this. They called it the Murder Mac. The Murder Mac. Ain't that fucking stupid? Like, come up with something better. You you kill all these people. You're super fucking smart. I was going to say he has an IQ of 138, but he can't come up with a better name for their van. Than the Murder Mac? It is a murder. I mean, it is a murder van. You You spent all this time, all this energy. You planned all this shit, and then you buy a van and you name it Murder Mac. Mm hmm. I'm disappointed. I was very disappointed by that. <laughs> but they bought it distinctly for this, and then they rebuilt the back. They literally, like, made it so that it had, like, a, um, like a bed and, like, drinks and locks and all this. It was literally, like, a murder mobile kind of shit. So, um, their first – so it says from February to June of 1979 – they picked up over 20 female hitchhikers. This was just kind of in preparation just to get a practice run going. They never actually um, assaulted them as far as they're aware. Um, they were just trying to, to develop like volunteer, like luring women into the van, kind of get in the mm-hmm. habit of it. You know, you got to prep for that kind of thing, apparently. You know, practice full on get into the murder. You got to go, you know, solid three months of prepping. So, in late April, they discovered a secluded road called the Fire, a secluded fire road located in the San Gabriel Mountains. Um, I'm assuming a fire road because I'm from Michigan, so I don't fucking know shit about fires. We don't really have fires here in Lower East Michigan. 
Um, you mean like, but, oh, like, like forest, forest fires? fires? Oh, okay. I think okay. that's, I'm imagining a fire road is like an intentional road that they block off just for like, I don't know, forest fires or something for people to get out. I don't know. Makes sense. So they found this secluded road though, and they actually like changed the lock on it so that they could access it at any time. So um, that ended up becoming their favorite route to take because it was so secluded they could take anyone up there and no one would hear them screaming. Uh, their first victim's name was Lucinda Lynn Schaefer. Um, she was 16 years old. And on June 24th of 1979, that was uh, when they actually murdered her. She was uh, leaving a Presbyterian church meeting in Redondo Beach. And um, in... In uh, Larry's written accounts later on, um, he says that Norris and him first finished constructing the bed, and um, then they installed, um, or and then they placed the tools under there, the clothes, the beer, whatever. And then at 11 a.m., they drove over and they seen her, and they were like, "There's a cute little blonde." That's what they said, like were word verbatim. He said, there's a cute little blonde. And so after unsuccessfully attempting to get her in the van um, with offers of, like, weed and a lift home, um, they ended up just driving further ahead and parking alongside a driveway and then forcing her into the vehicle. Hmm. Um, But she, uh, I think she put up a pretty decent fight. Um, So it says he... that no keep it in (laughs) i'll just i'll narrate and right now cherokee is scanning her wikipedia article she's now laughing while she's so yeah they (laughs) they took that road that they prepared um and so initially she was screaming when she was abducted but she regained her composure and um Larry wrote that Schaefer displayed a magnificent state of self-control and composed acceptance of the conditions of which she had no control. She shed no tears, offered no resistance, and expressed no great concern for her safety. Then he wrote, I guess she knew what she had coming. So funny. So then uh, Roy is the first one to rape Schaefer. Um, He tells... Larry to go take a hike real quick. Um, and then so in an hour, Larry comes back and he lip, then rapes her. Um, and Roy goes and leaves. So um, then there was another occasion where, you know, Roy did that again. And um, Lucinda's like, do you intend to kill me? And he says no, but, you know, obviously they did. So she just wanted to, like, have one time for prayer before they killed her. She was obviously really religious as she had just left a church meeting and she just wanted to pray one time. And um, she pleaded for only a second to pray uh, before Norris attempted to manually strangle her. After approximately 45 seconds, he became disturbed at, quote, the look in her eyes, end quote and ran to the front of the van vomiting. Larry then manually strangled Schaefer until she collapsed to the ground and began convulsing. He then twisted a wire hanger 
around her neck with vice grip pliers until her convulsions stopped. And then um, she never got to pray before she died. Assholes. So they wrapped her in a plastic shower curtain, uh, threw her over the canyon, and then uh, Larry said the, wor- the animals would eat her up so there wouldn't be any evidence left. And then not too long after that, they pick up Andrea Joy Hall on July 8th of 1979. Um, That was only two weeks after the murder of Schaefer. Uh, They encountered an 18-year-old by the name of Andrea Joy Hall hitchhiking along the Pacific Coast Highway. As the pair uh, slowed the van to offer a lift to Miss Hall, um, another vehicle actually approached and offered the lift. And so they just followed that vehicle until they made it to um, Redunda Beach. And then they um, told her to get in the car. Well, actually, Roy hid so that um, Amanda didn't know that Roy was in the car. And then Larry got her in the car. Um, And then they started right from there. They gagged her, fought with her. She, like, actually gave up a pretty good fight, it sounds like. Like, she was able to fight against him for a while, but then he bound and tied her wrists and ankles and then gagged her. Um, she was raped twice by Larry and then once by Roy. Once they they drove to a location in, in the mountains and then raped her. And then um, while Larry was raping her the second time, Roy was like, oh, there's a car coming up here. So then they, um, like, made her go hide in some bushes and then as soon as they realized there was no car he humiliated her by making her walk uphill naked alongside the road and then perform oral sex on her and then he made her pose for several several polaroid pictures which you later find out is like really just their thing they love taking polaroid pictures of these people or victims and also they found out that it wasn't just the victims it was like random people at the beach they were taking pictures of it was like a large sum of people that were getting pictures um but uh they walked to a nearby hill and then bought some alcohol and then um when larry came back or no when roy came back larry had only two um pictures in his hand and he said it was um amanda's face had a look of sheer terror as she begged for her life to be spared. And then Larry said he told Amanda that he was going to kill her and challenged her to give him uh, as many reasons as she could come up with as to why she should be allowed to live before thrusting an ice pick into her ear, into her brain, and then turning it to the other side, thrusting it into that side, and then stomping on it until the handle broke. This is the part that made me want to throw up. Then he strangled her because she was still alive after an ice pick being thrusted into both sides of her head. He strangled her until she was dead and then she fell and they pushed her off a cliff. Then we have good old Jackie Doris Gilliam and Jacqueline Leah Lamp. Uh, This was actually a duo of friends. Um... They're such cute girls, too. Like, you can tell that they were, like, so, like, kind of rebellious, punky-looking girls, but they were, they looked sweet. They looked cute. I looked at all the victims' pictures and was so heartbroken, but these two girls were at a bus stop and, um, in Hermosa Beach, and 
they were um, just resting and then Larry and Rory offered them a ride and they accepted it and they accepted, you know, they just started smoking weed with them because that was always their, you know, ruse was they were going to make them smoke weed and get drunk and whatever. Um, and then after the, they entered the van, they realized that they had gotten off the highway and they were concerned about that. So they start asking like, okay, why are we off the highway? Why are we going towards the mountains? And then, um, they started protesting and then they, they're like giving excuses, but the girls didn't fall for it because even though they're 13 and 15 years old, they're smart girls. 13 and 15. 13. 13 and 15 years old. So, um, she attempts to open the door, the 13-year-old does. Um, and then Roy hits her in the back of the head with a bag filled with lead weights. Knocks her out. Um, and then he overpowers the 15-year-old, uh, which is... Uh, so, Jackie is the 15-year-old, and Jacqueline is the... Or, sorry. Yes, Jacqueline, Jackie is the 15-year-old. Jacqueline is the 13-year-old. So, Jackie, um, he overpowers Jackie. And then uh, he finds and gags her. And then uh, Jacqueline gets, uh, regains consciousness. And then he twists her arm behind her back so bad that she was screaming and dragged her back into the van. And then he, um, like, ended up punching um, one of the girls in the face. And then bound and gagged and put them all in the car and had them held them captive for two days they were bound and gagged and repeatedly assaulted and abused um and then they were forced to pose for pornography or pornographic pictures they had all sorts of pictures after they were dead it was just they were obsessed with fucking taking pictures and then larry made he made the 15-year-old pretend she was his cousin as he sexually assaulted her. And then he was stabbing her in the breast with an ice pick and using the pliers to tear off part of one of her nipples. They later, upon finding the body, um, they found out uh, that she was struck in the ear with an ice pick and then strangled to death again. And then... Um, they uh, tortured the uh, Miss Lamp, and then uh, they strangled her to death, but she like, died with her eyes open. Uh, and then he threw them both over an embankment. And then this is the Halloween theme part. Shirley Lynette Ledford was um, their final victim. She was 16 years old and was murdered on the night of October 31st, 1979, after coming home or hitchhiking home from a Halloween party. Um, she accepted a ride home after she re recognized Larry because he frequented in the restaurant that she worked at. Um, and then once she got in the van, uh, you know, she was offered marijuana, but she refused. And then they took the van to a secluded street where Roy took a knife um, and scared her with it, you know, like threatened her with it. And then he bound and gagged her with construction tape. And then um, Roy starts driving the car aimlessly for an hour and blares the music up. And so, um, you know, Larry's in the back with, with uh, Shirley 
slapping her and mocking her and then he beats her with his fists and then she begins screaming and he yells for her to scream louder mind you all of this is on tape and you can find these tapes of this entire thing he recorded this whole thing with all of them or with just her all of them no no well no it's believed he recorded with other ones but you can only hear her murder actually oh my god so um yeah so he you can hear her crying and bleeding or, and um, pleading for him to leave her alone, to stop touching her. Um, and then he starts um, uh, striking her with a hammer and beating her like a sledgehammer. And he, she's um, pleading for the abuse to stop. And then he um, pulls something out and he's like sodomizing or raping her. It's the whole nine. It's really horrible. And then um I really just don't even want to further get into this because this stuff is just rough. It gets worse and worse and worse. And there you can hear recordings of it and you can read it yourself. I just really can't even get through the rest of it. Um but then after that um they kill her um and then they instead of doing their normal bit where they throw it off the side of a mountain they start getting cocky and they throw her body in someone's front yard in the suburbs so um a jogger finds her and roy actually confesses to one of his uh old friends from the the prison that uh larry and them had met at he confides in his friend and says, yo, we did all this fucked up shit because I'm assuming this person probably confided in him when they were in prison that they did similar fucked up shit. Because otherwise, why would you just be like, yo, I murdered five teenage girls? But um, then this person was like, okay, I'm going gonna, gonna to consult with my attorney here. And he ended up actually telling uh, the police. And then there was just a lot of They both died in prison, so that's basically the extent of it. They were both um, given life. They were both given, um, I know that Roy got a reduced sentence of life with the possibility of parole. He ended up dying in prison anyways. Yeah, he got life with the possibility of parole after 30 years. But Larry was given the death sentence. Five. They murdered five women, and he was given Mm -hmm. the possibility of parole? After 30 years. Not even women. Let me correct. Five girls. Like babies, mm-hmm. straight up babies. Jesus Christ. Yeah, dude, reading this, I was literally ready to throw up by the end. I was like, holy shit, I am nauseated by how disgusting these fuckers are. I mean, all the bodies of all these girl, women, girls, sorry, whatever you want to, all these poor victims had extreme torture done to them, had extreme, like pliers were pulling bits off of them, ripping and tearing things. I mean, they were using, the reason they were called the toolbox killers is because they used toolbox items to kill their victims and torture them. That's disgusting. So do we so, have all this information yeah. because they, like, talked? And they were like, because Roy did. Nice yeah. Roy got the reduced sentence and, and found peace for all these victims' families. So honestly, as much as I hate reduced sentences, at least he still died in prison and these families got to know what happened to their loved ones. You know, yeah. like, I don't know what ended up happening with any of the families. I didn't really research 
like if any of the families were still doing fine because it was it was five victims and it was hard enough to see the victims pictures to be honest after reading the horrible things they went through the nights and like for some people nights that they went through that shit that's horrible that's that's horrible that's disgusting after that debbie downer (laughs) ew but i couldn't stop reading it i literally was like so i've actually never heard of them which is crazy yeah like i've never heard of them which is so odd such brutal murders and i have literally never even heard of them that makes me wonder though why some like some serial killers just have this like notoriety and then some no one knows about you know like it's because these two are ugly i can almost guarantee it yeah that i mean like i was watching that um bailey the murder mystery makeup lady i was watching her and she said the reason that Ted Bundy and um, Jeffrey Dahmer were so famous was because they were both attractive people. I mean, they but both like, had fans. Yeah, I find that fucking weird that you murder people and then have fans. Like, that's what so fucked up. you idolizing? It is. Murder? That's fucked up. That's disgusting. Yeah, so your turn. <laughs> Okay, I think it's Lisk is the last name, but it's not Lisk. It's not the Lisk that I thought of initially or that like, when I think Lisk, I think of a different murderer, not these people. So this happened in Ohio and this was back in, I think this was in 2010. On Halloween, a 16 year old kid After going to church and singing in church, he literally went upstairs to his room to play video games. And like by the afternoon, he had no idea why like the rest of his family wasn't around. So he went into his parents' bedroom and found the two of them. So his mom and his stepdad in bed with like the covers pulled all the way up over their head. Um, And so like he... um, he like tried like poked her foot and like tried to wake her up. And then when he pulled the covers down a little bit, he saw that like her pillow and everything was soaked with blood. And he did think it was a Halloween prank at first. Um, When he realized that his mom was actually dead, um, like I said, he called his aunt who called the police. um, And then. So how old was this kid? 16. He literally, it was a Sunday and he came from church. Like he's saying, I think that's like the, yeah. And I think what's the saddest part is he, he literally went upstairs to his room to play video games for And was like, oh, my parents are just playing a prank on me. And then he's like, wait. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, that's just like, that's, I mean, that's just so sad. Like, that's so sad. Um, so I guess, so then the, so this is the, so it is the stepdad's son from another marriage who um, he did, he had like a history of violence and he, um, 
mental illness and schizophrenia. And so there was like a history of this. And he did not like his new stepmom. Um, I guess he, so like she had more rules and like had a more structured home life and he didn't like it. So <clears throat> it sounds like um, he like lost it one day and um, <clears throat> how were they killed were they stabbed or shot so that's what i'm looking for because initially they couldn't tell if it was like if they were if it was blunt force trauma or if they had been shot um so they did find after they um searched the house they did find um a blood a claw hammer that was all bloody um and so the brother the 16-year-old's brother, Derek, when they found him, um, he, oh, no, he was dead. Never mind. I thought they it was saying that he was still alive, but he died, like, pretty quickly. But he was hit with a hammer. Um, and then um, the parents, I think, were both shot. So um, they were able to see that it was like a they, they were shot close range. So it looks like they were all killed in bed. I don't know because like it's so disjointed. Okay, so then this and this is like I feel like this almost speaks to like where this kid is, this guy is at mentally. So he then the stepson had he like bought Subway. He bought a Subway sandwich and he had it at the house. And he was going to eat, after he murdered this family, he was, like, going to eat his Subway sandwich. Oh, my God. Yeah. Cold-hearted bitch. I know. But I think that his, like, I think his attorney um, was going for, like, what do they call it? Like, when you're, you're not competent to stand trial, essentially. So instead of going to prison, you're sent to, like, a mental hospital for the rest of your life. Yeah. But yeah, so basically the stepson didn't want to follow rules so he murdered murdered his own family. Well, and that fucking sucks too because it's the the 16-year-old, I mean, it sucks in general, but the 16-year-old kid is the one who finds his entire family dead. And like, like, he's so innocent that when he goes and sees his mom and his stepdad in bed not moving he's like oh it's it, it must be a prank like no honey like yeah this is straight up yeah he killed himself in prison he was sentenced to three life sentences with no chance of parole um and he did actually end up pleading guilty to three counts of murder you know how close this is to us yeah it's really close it's literally like 30 minutes away. Like you, so Toledo is about 20 minutes away, right? I thought Toledo was, okay, I live like really far away from everything. So oh, no, yeah. So my mom lives, there. my mom lives in like Britain, Deerfield area. So she okay. lives about 20 minutes from Toledo. So this is about probably 30 minutes away from my mom's house. That's insane. You like, I, I feel like you just don't think of things like this happening in like 
little Midwestern towns. Yeah. But I feel like that's where it's all happening. Like Wisconsin, are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious? Come on. Wisconsin's bad with the serial killers and the crime and the crazy people. How many, how many serial killers are from Wisconsin? I know that they're like they're a but yeah, but there's a fuck ton of serial killers from like Seattle and Washington State. Like well, well, from Washington. Well, those are both like super gloomy places, right? Ed Gein's from Wisconsin. Ew. Yep. Okay. It says Wisconsin's 10 most infamous killers. I'm sure two of them are going to be Ed Gein and Jeffrey Dahmer because those are the ones I know off the top of my head. Jeez, oh, Pete. That's, I know, like, in my mind, for some reason, I'm like, oh, Midwestern towns are, like, so nice and safe and bad things don't happen there. But then, um, serial killers happen and then, what? Oh, my gosh. Edward... Wayne Edwards is known to have murdered five people, two of which were a couple in Wisconsin in 1980, later called the Sweetheart Murders. Edwards was sentenced to death for the murder of an Ohio boy in 2011 and died of natural causes in prison one month later. What the fuck? That hurts my soul. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe I need to reassess how I think of Midwestern towns. Oh my God, there was the, there was the, um, the serial killer who was a trucker and he, like there are a lot of women found off of like major routes in Ohio. Milwaukee Northside Strangler? No, Dr. No. Oh, yeah. Well, there's the... Oh, yeah, definitely. There's so apparently, apparently there's just serial killers everywhere. Although, have you thought about this? There were, I, like, maybe there are serial killers that we just don't know about, but, like, I swear to God, there was, like, this wave where there was just a fuck ton of serial killers roaming about, you know? Uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s, man. Uh, yeah. I'm telling you. It's because since then we've had a lot more cameras hanging about, you know, like we, it's yeah. easier to catch people now. I feel like in comparison. Yeah, that's back true. Then it was like, and I did, uh, my, my security cousin pissed me off, so. That's, huh? I said my security's cameras came in today, so if I'm ever murdered at my house, they'll be caught. I, I'm getting mine. That's so, that is, maybe that is it. But, like, there still has to be, so what's his name? Israel Keys just, like, went around murdering random people. I feel like that's how you get away with murder nowadays is, like, it's just there's, you have no connection. Because he didn't. He would just pick random ass people. He had no, like, he would pick men, women, all different races, all different ages. Like, it didn't matter. He just wanted to kill people. You know? You know what I'm saying? That's fucked up. Why? Why? There's other Have things you, you can do with your time. Have you never heard of Israel Keys? I think I have, but... Dude, isn't... 
fucking buried murder buckets all around the country. So, and he traveled for work, I think. So when he traveled to different places around the country, he would dig up his murder bucket, murder kit, and go take a random person and murder them. I need to read up on this guy. And I don't think they're, I don't think they even know how many people he killed. They don't think he ever talked, and I don't think he's still alive. Um, Israel Keys murders. Um, he was caught in 2012, and he he committed suicide. Jackass. I hate it. So you couldn't, like, he, I don't think they even know the extent to, it's like the, um, there was another guy who claims that he's murdered, like, over a hundred people. He was caught recently. It was on the West Coast somewhere. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, wasn't that the, it was in California, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, he, um, no, not, not him, not the, um, not the Golden State Killer. Oh. Um, it was this other guy, and I remember, so Ian sent me the article at work. He's like, oh my God, check this out. There's like a serial killer, like, from now. And so I checked him out, and he, like, claimed to have killed over 100 women, but there was no, like, proof, obviously. Like, there wasn't, like, proof that he did it. And so they, he was charged with, like, a certain number of murders, and then they just say, like, suspected of a bunch more because he didn't know he he picked up sex workers and he murdered them so like he didn't know names or anything and a lot of times those people weren't even reported missing and so oh that's sad that is i know sad reality yeah like that just sucks too because it's like if you have a family member that you lose touch with right and they are working and doing like working in like a high risk environment like that and like you're you already lost contact with them and they're gone like you don't even know like their families might not even know that they're gone and dead which is super sad dude and honestly i actually know someone that was like a sex worker in detroit and <sighs> from from what i've heard it's like a whole culture of like you get as fucked up as you can mm-hmm. you try to find as many dudes as you can to get the most amount of money you can like it's it's a really fucked up culture but you get you get so close with the people you work with like the women that you work with from what i understand it's like you just you have to lean on them for help and a lot of them have drug addictions so then you do things with them because they're addicted to drugs you know what i'm saying so it leads to more drug addiction it's hard. It's so hard. Okay, so I personally, I was talking with my fucking 14-year-old sister about this, and we're both like, sex work should be legal. The reason, yeah. the reason there are so many issues and, like, like it's so dangerous for women and dangerous for sex workers in general, like, it's because, because it's fucking illegal. Because if you thought about it, if it was regulated by the government, then people could not force people to have sex for money. 
like they do now because it's easy to fucking force someone to have sex for money because all this shit is so low key to begin with. Yeah. But if you have the government already in there checking your tax forms, making sure everyone on there has a W-2 and like getting actual pay for the sex, then they would monitor the amount that the people like the sex workers would get mm-hmm. and they would monitor who fucking can like actually wants to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of being sexually trafficked. Yeah. We could literally stop people from being trafficked. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't like, I really don't understand why it is like, it doesn't make sense to me why it has to be illegal. And then it also causes issues too, where like, if you're a sex worker and you're raped, do you like, can you report it? Because is anyone actually going to believe you? Because it was like the whole thing with, I remember watching Mad Men, the TV show. And the one woman, I loved her. She had red hair. She was really pretty. I don't know, but she was married and her husband raped her. But it wasn't considered rape because he was her husband. And so he was allowed to whatever. That always makes me feel sick when people say that. I get infuriated. But that was like the, that was the thing back in the fucking 60s. Like you could. You can't rape your wife. Like, did you ever watch the movie Lovelace? What? Did you watch the movie Lovelace? No. Oh my God. It's about this. This woman, her, I, I can't remember her first name, but her last name was Lovelace, or at least that was her porn name. Um, she was infamous because she, I think she was one of the first to, like, do deep throat on porn or something. Um, but anyways, the, there's a documentary about her, about how fucked up her life was because her husband was horrible to her. And he would rape her, and because she was doing porn, Nobody cared because it was her husband and because she was doing porn. No one cared that she was being raped, that she was being assaulted. See, that doesn't, like, just because you choose to work in the sex industry, like, it doesn't mean that you can't be raped. Catch us every other Saturday and on Instagram at Felony Femme Podcast. And join the Facebook group at Felony Femme Podcast. Uh, Bye!